Hello, this is Pete Curiosity, and my name is Abigail. This is episode two of a series I'm doing on Suzanne Palmer. She was a World War II survivor and lived in the town where I grew up. If you haven't heard the first episode, I highly recommend jumping back to last week's and starting there. And if you're new here, this isn't my normal podcast, so I hope you stick around to see what is a little bit more run-of-the-mill for me. In the meantime, I hope you like it. If you do, please consider sharing or leaving a five-star review. Five-star reviews are really helpful. Every time somebody leaves a review, more people find this podcast. And with that said, let's get going. Before we jump straight back into the story, here are some statistics of the carnage of the war. There were 75 million casualties, including military and civilians, or around 3% of the world's population at the time. Of the total number of deaths in World War II, approximately 85% were on the Allied side, while 15% were on the Axis side. Nazi Germany systematically killed over 11 million people, including the 6 million Jews. In addition to Nazi concentration camps, the Soviet gulags, or labor camps, led to the deaths of 3.6 million civilians. As the war ended in 1945, people started to make their way back to their homeland. There were between 7 and 11 million displaced persons or refugees scattered throughout Europe. In this episode, Suzanne describes a program that housed refugees with German citizens. Her parents were placed with a German family for three years while she was being treated in a Munich hospital. This episode will tell of her family's struggle to find food in the barren and war-torn land of Germany while she was being kept safe at the hospital. We were all told that we, all of us, um, and they pointed out the regions that could go back and that the Nazis had invaded and left everything and have gone Mm -hmm. out and destroyed everything. And so everybody was so excited and they thought that, wow, you know, just one train ride and we'd all get home. And so we were waiting in line and this lady came over. My mom could speak seven languages. Wow. Yeah. And so she came over and she was saying that your daughter, your baby girl, she's not going to make it through the night. Look at her eyes and she's just so thin and everything. And, And so my mom didn't know what was the matter with me. What had happened was that when I heard those noises and those shrieks in the sky and everything, that I, it just made me so nervous that it enclosed my esophagus. Mm. And so they didn't know that. And so they tried to get me to eat and it would all come up. And I guess I'd been doing that for some time. She said, I just heard this. This would have been the woman at the train station. We heard that uh, in Munich, they had the American Red Cross, or the Army, I can't remember which one, but one of them came in and put up a temporary hospital for the refugees and anybody that was hurt. She says, your little girl isn't going to make it if you don't do something. I know that that 
train right there. I know it's going to Munich, she said, and that's where the Munich has opened up the temporary hospital. And so my dad said, well, we'll just wait here. We're safe here. We'll just wait here for you to come back. And so she took me over there. This was her mother, Teresa. And she put me in there, and I was there almost three years. But that lady that had come over and told my mom how bad I looked, you know, she kind of saved me mm-hmm. and saved my mom, too, because I, I don't know how she would have taken another threat like that, you know. So you went to Munich, and you stayed there three years with your mother? Almost three years. No, my mom went back mm-hmm. back to okay. take care of everybody else. But in the meantime, while I was in the hospital, the organization in um, Munich said that they were going to make their appeal to their country and have them take in some of the uh, displaced persons. And, of course, you know, the Germans didn't like that, and they didn't want that. But everybody went to sign up for one, and while I was in the hospital, my mom and dad signed up, and they went to a home about about 60 or 70 miles away, like Boise is from here. Tell me about what it was like for your family there. They went to a home, and the people didn't want them, and my folks didn't want them, you know, not knowing that we're not that welcome. <laughs> and so um, so they gave us a room. There was seven of us, or would be when I got home. My folks tried to get organized or get a job, any kind of a job, you know. And so what they did was they collected old clothes, and there seemed like everybody had old, old clothes. And so they would cut them up, and they would make throw rugs out of them. And that's how they made their part of their living so we could keep on. And at that time, I think uh, I think Munich was pretty destitute about food, too, because they had tried to help all the other countries that had been a part of the war and everything. So there wasn't that much food. But my mom, since she spoke seven languages, she would take the carpets in and she said the the American army men that were there with families were very, very sweet about buying. And she said sometimes she didn't really think they wanted it. They were just trying to help us with food and mm-hmm. give us what money they had and stuff. Mom said they were so nice, and she said they were so scared. And they kind of avoided us. But as things got a little better, and Mom would sometimes come home with flour, and she would uh, make her own bread. You know, everybody made their own bread in those days. And uh, what they did, every middle of the week, they would have this little village would have uh, like a huge fire uh, pit 
and they would bake their breads in there. And so mom tried one day to see if she could use their, uh, and they were, they, they were, she said they were so hospitable. Yes, yes, go, mm -hmm. go, you know. And so she did that and then um, she cut it in two and she put it at their doorstep. And my little brother, he was at the stage where he loved to chase animals, so he chased the chickens. Well, the chickens stopped laying eggs because he was chasing oh. them so much. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and, but, you know, and they, of course, they knew what it was, you know, and, and they'd go and, you know, put their finger and say, no, you don't do that, you know. <laughs> well, the kids didn't know what they were saying or anything. And so when that bread thing opened up, then Mom would always give them... Um, half of it and then you know we'd find a couple of eggs at our back door in the hallway mm -hmm. and so things got really good you know and when we left they cried and mom cried and they cried and you know it, and it was a, a wonderful farewell and how long did you stay with that family it must have been close to 48 49 and anywhere you wanted to travel in those days was horrendously time-consuming. You know, you had to put in your name and where you were going and why you were going. And My mom was really kind of the breadwinner. Sometimes, you know, she'd hit the spot where they were telling where, where there was free corn or or something like that, or if you picked wheat for the farmer, he would give you some of the flour and stuff like that. So that was always exciting to think that someone would share like that because everything was so scarce. And even the seeds that they had taken for granted all those years planting, you know, that was even sparse because a lot of it had been burnt when the Nazis went through. It's so crazy how you have such... A polar opposite type of human situation going on you have the nazis on one hand who are just so horrible and then you have these other people who are also so kind yeah it's so interesting yes. to see that con uh -huh. contrast in the same place yes and you know i i know my mom would uh when we were living with these people in munich it was so wonderful that like the the landlady would bring us like six eggs or something, you know, and it was really, you're right, it was really amazing that people would share things like that. When you were at the hospital, in Munich for a couple years. Uh -huh. Were you there because you just were that sick and couldn't go home? Or at some point, was it just that you had a safe place to be? So that's why you were there. Well, for that was true, a safe place to be, because mom thought, well, they're feeding her. You know, if anyone's getting fed, she is, you know. And so the thing was that um, they, my folks at that time, didn't know what was the matter with me. And so what they did, they opened up my stomach and they put a tube in there and they started feeding me. And as I grew better, they started working on my throat. Well, what had happened, it constricted. 
And so they started putting down different sizes of hose every morning, you know, I'd have to get like a really thick, some, the last one I had was about that thick. Here she's gesturing to her middle finger. And I had to leave it in there for a half an hour every day, so. And, and they I had would to feed the, you through that? No, they would feed me through this hose oh, and clamp it off. Uh -huh. okay. This was where they would put it here, and then this one, they were tr trying to spread it out. I see, it was like therapy yeah. for them. And the they thought that because I was so small, they thought that I would, um, that it would take care of itself after they opened it up, but it didn't because I had to, Every morning I'd have to get up and put down a hose. It was about 37 inches long and I had to- 37? 30, yeah, it was about this long and I had to take about this much because it had to go through that strict place. It was weighed, it's kind of confusing and complicated and a lot of junk, but there was <laughs> a lot of uh, weight to it. They okay. put mercury in it, which is a no-no today. <laughs> you can't put mercury in that. And so um, so when I would leave it there, and I could just feel it, you know, getting wider, and then it would fall through. And then I'd have to catch my hose, because it, if it went in, that would be a different surgery, you know. Oh, my goodness. So That sounds horrible. I bet. It does. And I hated it. Oh, I just hated it. And when I went back to the family, you know, they all sat there and watched me, and I hated it. <laughs> but they all said, yes, yes, Susie, uh, Zhuzhi, they called me Zhuzhi. Uh, they said, she, yeah, she put her hose down this morning, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So. That's such a horrible story. You kind of have to laugh. Well, you have to laugh in order to survive things sometimes, yeah. I think, so. What memories do you have from when you were in the hospital? I, I didn't get a bed. I always slept in the bathtub because I was so tiny. They just put a pillow in there and put me on top of the pillow. I was on the second story, and um, there was a little... Uh, market down down there in the summertime and so people would bring their strawberries and their potatoes and everything and I always wanted to know what those red things were you know and I could there there were different smells when they would bring different things you know and I just thought that was wonderful and one of the nurses really liked me and she went home and made me a uh, a nurse's hat, and I thought, oh, nobody has a hat like this, you know, <laughs> just things like that. And Were the nurses good to you? Yes. The, the one nurse that would feed me, she wasn't. She thought I was a waste of time because mm. she always had to put that in my stomach, you know, and it was a long uh, ordeal. And she didn't like doing it, and I didn't like her doing it because it was always hot. And now I kind of wonder if that's not why when I get something real hot and swallow it, I wondered if that's not what it did, you know. I think she baked half of my stomach. So anyway, I can eat now, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good news. Yeah.
I was laying in bed and I heard somebody crying and screaming and and I and I thought what is she saying she can't have her child and it was my mom and she said it was like three or four in the morning and she said something just told her that she needed to forget about staying home at night and coming and seeing me and they wouldn't let her have me and the reason was they had given away adoption papers and I was the one they were giving away and so my mom says well you can't you can't have her just like that and she said well she said you hadn't been here for a while and I know what your life must be like you know going and fending for half a loaf of bread a, a piece of meat or anything a piece of meat was hard to come by in those days and they said um, we have her signed off to someone else at eight o'clock she said they're going to be here in three or four hours and they're going to come and get her and my mom just started to cry and she says you have no right to do that and she says we weren't trying to do anything bad we just thought that you might have been killed or maybe mm -hmm. you would excuse me, went back, and you weren't ever heard of again, you know. Yeah, that's a reasonable assumption in that time. Oh, yeah, everybody was scared of everything, you know. You didn't dare, uh, there was, people disappeared, and they were used for meat. Um, Mom one time got a big piece of a slab of beef. She thought it was oh. beef, and there was... Uh, fingernails in it no. so you know everything was bought on the black market that was that wasn't right with the world you know on occasion man if we had a chicken everybody you know just about ate everything there was including the beak <laughs> So she took me home, and of course I didn't know these people by then because I hadn't seen them for three years. And you said that you had forgotten Hungarian, so did yes. you speak to your family in German? I spoke to my mom in German, but the others didn't know German, you know, because, well, mom, I don't know why mom knew seven languages, but she knew <laughs> She knew all of those Turkish games and Czechoslovakian and Bulgarian and That's all of so that. That's so awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. I bet it came in handy. Oh, yeah, because, you know, she said when she'd be standing in line and she thought, well, you know, if she gets up there far, fast enough, maybe she can go to another line to get, you know, um, a little bit of sugar or something like that. And so she thought that would be really nice and... Um, she said the thing that was neat about it was she could pick up what they were t saying and so she a lot of times she said she would wait like from six in the morning till five o'clock at night just to get two pieces of bread or something but then she said you know I got to listening and this person would say well if you go to such and such a building in Munich they have uh, milk for you. 
and you know or sugar or they gave me a cup of coffee to use you know or I mean it was just something else so that probably takes me about to 10 about age 10 uh-huh I'm going to hit pause right here, but first, let's play a clip from our next episode where Suzanne and her family immigrate to America. There were a lot of people that were seasick, and so whenever you went up and down, you know, the, the stairs were just filthy, and, the, <laughs> and the, the stuff that you hung on to to get up the yeah. stairs, they were just plastered with all that. <laughs> 